Hello and welcome to another episode of the Self Made Podcast. A tiny bit of admin right at the gate. As many of you know who follow my podcast for a while, that this really is my passion project. It was four or five years in the making and I could not be happier with the guests that I've got on and the people that I've spoken to. But I really want to take this to the next level in 2022 and I need your help to do so. I want to open this podcast up to as many cool guests that we can speak to and get as many eyes and ears on it as possible. So I really, really would love if you could guys could go on to whatever your favorite podcast platform is, Apple, Spotify, and give us a rating and a review. And if you enjoy any of the episodes, please share your favorite episode on social media, tagging myself at Kingsley Dutton on Instagram and the guest of your choice. I would love to see what all your favorite episode is. But moving on to today's episode. Today, I get back on my coach, Blake. In this episode, we go reverse dieting 101. Everyone talks about dieting. We all talk about the, you know, why is it important to get healthier, lose fat and look better. But very few people generally talk about the aftermath. What happens after the diet? And I've worked in the industry for many, many years where we see these fantastic, phenomenal before and after photos, but not enough attention is put into avoiding the after the after photo. Luke Lehman famously said that we do not have a weight loss problem, we have a weight management problem. And this episode, we really delve into that. We talk about why reverse dieting is important, how we can improve someone's thyroid health, testosterone health, and our approaches to getting someone's calories back in a good space and allowing them to hold off that body fat, big body fat gain coming out of the diet. We talk about the mental aspects of reverse dieting, how our approaches change depending on the mentality of the person coming into the diet and how setting yourself up in the first place for the diet is really, really important. We speak a little bit about our reverse dieting um, stories from Blake coming off his own competition and me coming off a photo shoot with him. And then we talk about some health marks in general, how to look at blood work, what things to look for, and generally how to have a successful after the diet. So if you enjoy this episode, as I said before, please share, share tagging myself and Blake, and I will leave you with myself and Blake West. So Blake, round two, it's good to have you on. And we come and had this idea of talking about reverse dieting um, a little while ago because I finished my diet with you going into a reverse diet. At a similar time, you were coming out of competing. And there was a, a phrase that Luke Lehman said that really, really stuck with me is that we don't have a weight loss um, problem. We have a weight maintenance problem. And I generally think that's true. And so a lot of people lose weight with various diets, but people rarely keep weight off. Um and like before we go into the specifics of your reverse diet and your approaches of it, okay. with that statement, like, why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that people really struggle to maintain weight loss in general? Uh, I think, man, I've seen a lot of it stem from people going on these crash diets and then they're kind of like, you know, really uh, limiting themselves, you know, forcing themselves into it. And then they just tend to binge afterwards. They like, they're just kind of go, let's use like keto for an example, you know, those bad diets out there. People just dive into that and set these unrealistic expectations that just aren't sustainable. So they get, you know, they get to that point to where they just cannot handle it anymore. And they go from one end of the spectrum to the complete other. And I think that's what, honestly, I think that's where it's stemming from. And probably 90% of people that can't, you know, when they lose the weight, they can't keep it off. I think just pulling out like excess carbs, like again, like going keto for an extended amount of time. You can't do that forever. You know, that's not a realistic approach. It's not a sustainable approach. So it's going to backfire eventually. So I'm assuming like a lot of this thing comes down to 
setting people up the right way from the start. Like even before they were even thinking about the reverse diet, like that initial plan to get them into the diet probably affects how the reverse diet comes out of it. I mean, what kind of things do you do when you get a new carnivore? Let's say they're in a position where they're ready to diet and you can push them into a diet. What do you sort of things do you do to make sure that you've set them up to a place where it's not going to be that all or nothing mentality? Right. Well, first I, I get on a call and I have that conversation with them. Like, you know, where, where's your stress at in life? Like how, like, what do you have going on? Like outside of this training program that way we don't have those outside factors, you know, we consistency adherence, take that into account. If you have all these other things going on, maybe you have finance issues, relationship issues, probably not a good time to diet, you know? Cause I mean, I'm the type of person about if I'm taking my client into a deficit, into a diet for whatever reason, I want to get in and get out of it as quick as we can. And I want to get the absolute most benefit out of it as we can. So if someone has all these other things going on, they're probably just not in a, in a, in a good spot. Life coming from a lifestyle perspective to even go into that diet. But that's definitely the first approach I take. Um, and as far as what was your other question? Kind of the, the initial, like kind of where the initial diet. Yeah. How, yeah. I mean, initially, first off, if, if there's room to improve, let's talk about here adherence. If you have a protocol in place, and there's still room to improve there, start there. Like if they can clean that up, that's where I would start. There's no sense in, uh, well, we're going to pull hundred grams of carbs from, you know, your diet when if you haven't been sticking to what you're already doing. We don't know how your body's adapting or changing to what we already have in place. That's kind of where I'll start to is have that conversation with them. You know, what's going on in your life, like get that approach. And then, okay, is there anywhere that we can possibly clean up? Like if there's cardio in the plan, are you doing it to a T like, every day are you missing a day out of the week okay let's start there get that day in and then we'll see how your body changes you know are you missing a meal or are you are you you know hitting your your carbs your your fats your your protein to the t if not okay let's start there so i like to make sure we're on the same page clean all that up um you know put a bow on it make sure everything is on point and then you know we can kind of start maybe titrating food down and you know based on the person go from there I think that's a really important thing to talk about. Like when you're looking at the initial diet, that endurance comes first. Like we can talk about this in terms of dieting directly on and many other conversations. But when we're looking at the reverse diet, like a lot of this, I've seen it with coaches all the time where they don't know how to have good, understand good questions. They can't communicate with their clients. They can't find out where there's tracking errors or adherence issues. So the only approach is pull calories, pull calories, pull calories, pull calories. Yeah. And sometimes this is neglectful coaches that don't know how to get results without pulling loads of calories and doing loads of cardio. But a lot of the times that people don't know how to talk to people, how to understand the DMS issues. And so they, they, they've got, they've got all the right intentions, but they just hit, they got hit this wall and they just dropped too early. And then where'd you go at that point? Yeah. If you at that point, when the diet ends, you're coming into a position where you're, you may not need to go anywhere near that aggressive. No. And, yeah, I agree. And like, if you're, if you're a healthy individual and you're sticking to the plan, and you're in a caloric deficit, yes, you should have some progress. I mean, the, I don't necessarily like the whole calories in, calories out idea because there's so many variables to take into account, especially like dealing with, you know, functional health issues, things like that. It's not the end be all calories in, calories out. But if you are healthy and you're sticking to the plan, there's no internal issues. You should, uh, you should respond to a deficit. And that's, I mean, so you can always tell, man, like if, say you drop calories by, you know, 10, 15% one week and like nothing changes or, you know, when you go two weeks and like nothing changes or they're, they're putting on body fat, you're looking at the pictures and you're being like, what the hell's going on? You can, you can almost bet that person probably isn't being hundred percent honest with their check-ins. I mean, 
as long as they're healthy. That does go back to that. If, you know, if there's something internally going on, sure, they might, you know, they might have some metabolic resistance or, you know, whatever the case may be going on. But if they're healthy, they should be responding at the end of the day. And that's, I mean, you saw that with your deficit. I mean, you responded every, every change we made. It was like, holy shit, you know, he's responding really, really well. We gave you a repeat. You responded really well. That just goes back to you were on point, like to a T. Everything was on point. Your cardio was on point. Your training was on point. Your nutrition was on point week in and week out. And that's just how it's got to be. And that's why I have that conversation with them initially, because if they're not in a place to do that, I don't want to take them through it. I don't want to take them through a deficit. I want, like I said, yeah. yeah, there's there's so many there's so many like interesting points to delve into that as well. And I think the big one when it comes to my my diet when I was work you know working with you for my shooting and and you know me in the reverse now with with, with lockdown is that that structure really creates freedom. And I do think an attention to detail is so important because I I, I heard something the other day about someone post about it's a consistency game more than an accuracy game. And now I, I agree with that statement. I really do. But I, I think it, it depends on who you're dealing with, how true that statement is. And if you're dealing with people that are complete beginners, I, I, was, I read a study recently that like this tracking hours of registered dietitians are 15 to 20% like issues in tracking hours. Now that's people who know what they're doing. With a day-to-day client, you could be 30, 40% underestimating our calorie intake. And this is where you don't see things that, if we assume that everyone underestimates, it's like, right, how do we get you closer to that's a smaller underestimation every single time? And if you get closer, you get within 5 to 10% of getting your calories perfect, having a refeed will respond well. Having every change will respond well. And that's going to go well with you when you come out of the diet because you've got that structure in place, whether it's around the meal timing or around your tracking, that you can sort of you know when you add stuff that's what you add. and you're not going to go off fall off completely because of that exactly and i think a lot of that the the under tracking maybe even over tracking stems from just too much damn technology out there like you have like a, the my fitness pal which i'm just not a big fan of it's just not very it's not really sped up to date it's not that accurate if you actually you know go to the grocery store look at the food label compare it to my fitness pal a lot of times it's not going to be that accurate so if they're just going off and old technology, you know, something like that, there's going to be some, you know, miscommunication to an extent at that point. That's why, like, when I have people and they're going through a deficit, I like to have the plan on paper and I like to stick to that. Um, if I, if like, I have a lot of trust in the client, we've been working together for a while, maybe, okay, you can, you know, there's room to make those substitutions, but I know that person's going to be on point because we've been working together so long and I just have that trust in them. But for the most part, like a shoot prep, a competition prep, you know, a serious, like we're going into a deficit for a reason. I like the plans on paper. These numbers might not match up to your, you know, your, my fitness pal or whatever the hell you're using. But if you're consistent to what we have in place and we make a change to that, you're going to respond because your body's adapting to what we were doing prior. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, when you're newer clients, there are going to be more sort of discrepancies. Are you, are you still as strict with the meal plan or do you use another way of tracking calories for those kind of people because i think a lot of the times it's like certainly with my coaching i have a meal plan i get to track that because i know realistically someone who isn't living and breathing this is probably going to have meals out they're probably going to have to find best options and if i don't have some level of tracking then the swings in in accuracy could be all over the place so what do you kind of use with those clients yeah so we 
and, and and again that depends on the client if they're going through you know like a specific let's say like gut protocol or you know there's some something to that extent there's not really much um, much leeway there but if it's you know we're just trying to get healthy you know we're not going through protocol sure there's definitely because you you and when i was talking about like stick to this to a t that was more so of like we're dieting for a reason we're getting on stage we're doing a photo shoot something like that otherwise yes there's definitely some you know flexibility that's going to happen you know you don't want to set again these unrealistic expectations for people you want to be able to go out and enjoy dinner with your family you know and with your friends for you know social type of thing that's that's just going to happen that's life um so we like we'll send people we have some like restaurants over here in the U.S. that you can be pretty healthy at. So we'll have a list of those. We'll send out like their, um, the macros for the meals at those restaurants. And you can be, you can definitely fit those in. And if you go a little bit over, you know, oh, well, you know, it's, it's one and maybe once, once a week that you're doing that. And then again, definitely like as far as we'll send them a meal plan. Yes. Or, and we'll tell them like, Hey, there's room for some, you know, we'll also send them like a, a food source sheet. Like, you know, you can substitute this fat for this fat, this carb for this carb. That's totally fine. And I think when it is some, someone like that, it's not as, I shouldn't, I don't know if I want to use the word not as important, but if they, if they're 10 grams over 10 carbs under, you know, it's just not going to make that big of a difference. The thing with them is just building that consistency, you know, week to week. And if they're, 80 90 compliant at the end of the week that's that's freaking awesome and we can definitely make some progress off of that but definitely more room for flexibility with those types of people i think that's very important so you're not creating this um you know this mindset around food creating this negative mindset so when it comes to like this is off the topic of reverse dieting but it's sort of brought up with this thing with the assumption that people especially beginner clients are going to be probably quite heavily underestimating the calories, sauces, seasonings, oils, milks and coffees, lattes, et cetera, et cetera. Snacks they forget about having, chips off their partner's plate, all that, you know, list them here. Were you talking about some level of metabolic resistance? And this is obviously something that you guys speak about, you, Alan, you know, Vince, all heavily talk about this and people overly crash dieting. Like, it's the only way to look at that and find out if that's somebody's blood work. Because... I know a lot of coaches where on paper they're crash dieting the clients, but it's only because maybe they have 600 calories on paper because they know that client's actually eating 23. You know, so right. how do you start to piece together? Okay, they're not losing weight at X. Is it that they're rubbish at reporting their calories and they think they're eating this, but it's more? Or when is it, ooh, there's an issue here? Yeah, I mean, obviously like blood work's definitely a good tool. You can also look at like waist circumference. You know, what do they look like? How's their blood glucose levels throughout the day? You know, what's their waking heart rate like? How stressed out are they? Things like, so taking how's their energy throughout the day? So all the questions that you know you fill out on your check-in each week, those are like getting that feedback initially is is huge. And then again, if you take them, if you try to take them into a deficit, like we do this a lot, we'll like beta test clients um to kind of see if they're ready for a fat loss. But if you you pull calories back and nothing happens. Okay, well, we, we're not going to continue to push that for 12 weeks. We might give it four weeks, see if we can get some, some, some movement. If we're not getting anything, there's likely something going on if they're, be, if they're on plan. So that's where the communication half comes in. Like, and most of these clients I do it with, I know for a fact, like they're pretty well on plan. But beta test them. If they're not responding, you can't just keep pushing that deficit lower and lower and lower. You're just going to put them in a hole. So that's when it's like, okay, we have to pull out of this and figure out what the hell's going on. Why are you not responding? Mm. Do, you, do you use um, body temperature much at all? Because I think like one of the great things about um, 
every place you, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but certainly here, every place you go into, you're getting your body temperature checked. Now, they're not perfectly accurate, but do you see consistent drops in body temperature? Is that something you use to sort of look at thyroid output at all? You absolutely can. We don't, we don't, we, I mean, I just like to use blood work. It's straightforward. Mm. You know, it's on paper. It tells you exactly what's going on, but that's definitely something you can use. You know, how much are you sweating? You know, are you sweating more? Are you sweating less during your training? Definitely something you can utilize for sure. If they don't have access to, you know, the blood work. Mm. That's interesting. So going back into sort of like why people struggle with weight maintenance, how important do you feel? Cause I think being in the right place to diet is a really, really important. One. And I think it's, you know, I, I, you tend to find those things. I've, I've, I've had this conversation a lot with Hong Kong being in lockdown that I'm with you. I'd rather get in, get out on a diet. And you tend to find that people end up in this limbo where and I, I always say it's the curse of the 10 to 12 kilos. Your client's got a lot of weight to lose. They'll lose the first 10 because they're motivated by, I'm not sure, I don't like how I look, I'm miserable. And then they get to the point where, ah, I'm all right. And they end up in this sort where they're like, I kind of want to be there, but I'm also all right here. And rather than owning that, they kind of go, I want to push for the more, but my actions aren't following. And they end up in this point where physically it's not great because they're spending, they're bouncing in and out of a deficit all year. Mentally, it's not great because every time they overeat, there's a, there's a guilt factor you know, to that. Like, how much do you think the reason why a lot of people can't maintain their weight is the fact that we lose a deadline? Because I think it's easy to try and push for it when you've got a photo shoot or a holiday or something like that. Like, how do you approach people when all of a sudden now, whatever you were working towards is now over? And often, especially when it's competition and now they're just sort of, nothing's changed. Their day-to-day life has continued, but there's now no not that extrinsic motivator. How do you get people on plan with that sort of approach? Like there's, now there's no end goal to push yeah. for. I mean, who the, who wants to work that hard to get somewhere and then go back to where you were before? I mean... And just have that conversation with them, you know, tell them if you continue to go down this route, you're going to end up, you know, where you were before you, before we started. I mean, you don't want to put all that work in and go there and just have, I think it's just creating that relationship with the client to be able to have that open communication and tell them what's, tell them what you're seeing and then kind of leave that up to them, kind of put the ball back in their court. Like, Hey, is this, you know, what's going on? Here's what I'm seeing. Now, let me hear your side. Like, is this where you want to be six months from now? Let's kind of have that conversation. Hmm. So with like going into the reverse diet more directly, there, there's going to be so many people that will listen. A lot of coaches will listen to this and will sort of understand this world and why we do it. But there's going to be a lot of people that may have never done this before and don't understand the concept of reverse dieting. So there's going to be a lot of people that will listen to this and go, why does it matter to reverse diet? So give, give us a little bit of an overview of what reverse dieting is and why it's important. Yeah. So, I mean, as you diet, um, more and, and males are more resilient than females, but as you diet things, things in your body down regulate, you know, your BMR down, down regulate, you're going to have a little bit of thyroid down regulation, biofeedback. Like I'm sure you experienced this when you were dieting Simon, like energy is going to be tanked for the most part. If you diet to an extent, you know, sleep's probably not going to be as good. So, you know, that feedback that we're getting week to week is going to start to be off. So, first thing you want to do and, and this is just this there's so many ways to do it this is just kind of my approach i want to get all that back on point before we worry about putting on muscle tissue going into like a you know quote-unquote growth phase i want to make sure if you know if, if you were using peds like we want to get blood work back on point first you know that's that affects blood work if we we're using peds to get leaner um so take that into account but i want to get health back on point we want to 
dieting isn't healthy. Going into the chronic deficit is not healthy. It's going to have, you know, there's going to be some, some things that do downregulate and get thrown off a little bit. So we want to make sure we're getting that back on point, you know, as far as like bringing calories up, we want to bring your BMR back up. We want to get it up to like your potential DE to, you know, at some point, we don't want it to be downregulated for very long. We don't want your thyroid to be downregulated for very long. We don't want your energy throughout the day to be tanked for very long. We want to get sleep back on point. So that's, that's kind of the beauty of, that's the first thing I want to do. I want to get those markers back on point. I want to, I want to look at blood work. I want to make sure that's on point. So in a sense, I think you can look at more like reverse dieting. I like to call it more so of like a health phase coming out of it. Um, I mean, there's definitely several terms you can use, but I like to go through a health phase first or like, you know, like a, a reverse diet to an extent before we start really pushing growth or kind of going in that opposite direction. I just like to make sure, I mean, a healthy body is going to be the most responsive. So I go to push a growth phase and you're not healthy. That's the same thing trying to push a deficit and you're not healthy. So let's take that time in between get things back on point and then we can go to that you know we can go to that opposite end of the spectrum as far as growing so with regards to that like if you've got someone that's now come to the end of the diet they're going into this this health phase how do you sort of structure this health phase how, what's your approach of getting things back up and running yeah so i mean yeah take the person into account too like me and you were talking a little bit about before how adherent were they during the deficit you know, maybe this person's going to need a little bit more carbohydrates coming out of the deficit just so they're adherent, so they're consistent. Um, or maybe it's someone that can take these little increases just to kind of get those that feedback back on point and be able to handle that. OK, you know, you can kind of determine that going through that deficit with them, their personality and kind of what, you know, they prefer or what what they can adhere to better. It's really the route I think it's so it's just so different from person to person based on those types of things. It's it's hard to just put like a general answer out there because it's always just a little bit different with each, each time. But I mean, for the most part, obviously, you know, you want carbohydrates to the big one. You want to start bringing in more carbs. Sleep's going to improve. Energy's going to improve. I mean, that's your that's your main fuel source. Um, Recovery is going to improve with the training, things like that. Eventually, and I think I did this with you even. Eventually. Once I feel like we're in a good place, I like to give people like one to two weeks of just intuitively eating, like give them a mental break. They've been dieting. Now they're going through this reverse diet. I mean, we're human. We all need a freaking break from that stuff. So I think that's important too. like, Hey, don't go overboard, but I don't want you to put anything on the scale this week. I don't want you to track anything. I just want you to be mindful. I want you to eat when you're hungry. Maybe three meals a day is fine. You know, someone's dieting. They're probably used to four or five meals a day eating, you know, two to three hours apart, you know, for every single meal throughout the entire day, just kind of give yourself a mental break, eat when you're hungry, be mindful, go off to eat if you want to. But again, have some veggies on your plate, have some protein, don't go overboard and just enjoy that week of mental freedom. I always like to do that with people. I think it's really important as far as long-term sustainability. Do you think the the long-term approach when it comes to sustainability is to eventually get people eating intuitively for the majority of the diet majority of time or do you think it's it's you have these breaks mentally but you kind of want to keep people on a bit more structure i like to keep it structured man especially if they have specific goals it's just very hard i mean sure you could use like you know the palm of your hand for protein and things like that it's just not going to be as accurate so if they have specific goals i like to keep it structured and that, and again, that's from person to person. If they have this negative mindset of weighing stuff on the scale, like, 
it's creating a negative mindset towards food or, you know, it's affecting their mental health, then sure, we can kind of go this, I guess, intuitive approach, but I would still like to not weigh, but like kind of portion control for sure, kind of get an idea of how much we're eating. That way we're at least consistent to an extent. Because I mean, if it's just intuitively eating, you're likely like one day you might be starving. So you might, you know, overshoot it one day you might not be hungry so you not might not eat at all so i mean i still like to keep it a little bit structured maybe just not to the extent of weighing everything if that person has a negative mindset around it mm-hmm. but if they're good and they don't mind doing that stuff i like to keep that in for sure mm-hmm. I, 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 I always think i like an element of structure certainly within the meal timings of the day anyway we think it's amazing how when you get your meal structured how structure in your life tends to follow suits like I tend to be better in my work. I tend to be better in my life when I'm dieting because there's a structure to things. But I also think it, it keeps you that habit. Like I, this is one of the things we talked, going back to what we were saying earlier on about keeping a level of um, setting the diet up in a right way that makes things easy for them, makes things habitual to them before the reverse diet comes in place. Like I, I remember like I did a lot. The first time I dieted in Hong Kong was this diet. And I made a conscious effort to find things that were I could cook in less than five minutes that were easy, that were straight swaps of things I would have anyway. Um, uh-huh. And like those little easy wins that when, if I keep doing those after the diet, it doesn't really change my life from before the diet, but it keeps me on the straight and narrow. Like the low fat bacon medallions was my, my absolute game changer. I could cook them in two minutes and I could have a bacon sandwich if I wanted to after diet. And it's, it's a better, I've taken off 100, 200 calories. Or going back to black coffees, I had a, I, I, for a while, I wondered how I got to a very soft 90, 94 kilos when I first started working. So I, I'm quite good at auto-regulating in the mid-80s. Like I kind of sit there without even thinking about it. And I was like, how did I get that heavy in not in a good way? And it was because I started adding, like I, I, in Hong Kong, big drinking culture. But also I'd started switching my black Americanos for iced vanilla lattes and the amount of extra calories I was drinking and just from that alone it's like <laughs> would I rather have a little bit more food or this iced hazelnut latte and, and like, you're like that's such an easy win like I found sockeye salmon and that that allowed me to have smoked salmon and save extra few calories for later in the day and I think those things are super important to after the diet because if you get if you have a structure in place that as we spoke about earlier, you can't follow, or you hate so much that you just go back to your old ways. This is, this is, it's gonna, you're going to crash and burn as soon as you come out the other way. Yeah, it's funny you say that. When I started my prep for my last show, we didn't change much at first. Obviously, like, you know, the coffee needed to be black and, you know, just stevia. So, I mean, I think just doing that for two weeks, I responded like crazy. So, I mean, it, those are the things that you just don't take into account um especially for like general population you know they're used to having their their you know sugar-filled lattes every morning and that you just clean that up and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about prior like having that conversation with the client where can what can we clean up with the protocols we have in place because a lot of people they might be sticking to the protocols but they're having that sweet latte or they're having those chips at the end of the night or that popcorn whatever the case may be so where can we clean up before we start making these drastic changes because if there's there's room for improvement I don't want to start making these drastic changes to your nutrition or, you know, let's clean it up. Let's see the response we get. Literally like going into my prep, it was just cleaning up those small things. And within the first two weeks, I was like significantly like noticeably leaner. 
we didn't change anything. I just cleaned things up. So I think that's, that's, that's a really good point. Mm. So when you, when you actually look at it, you're going back into your approach to reverse dieting, like how, how much is too much? How staggered is your approach in terms of increasing carbohydrates and calories? Do you have a general rule of thumb? Is it super different? Does it depend on various circumstances? Like how do you go about getting someone to where you think maybe maintenance calories? So I, I like to really base off, obviously, you know, the feedback, the biofeedback we're going over, getting all that back on point. And then also training performance. Like, I don't think that you need to increase calories, just to increase calories. Like I have people that have been on the same calories for, you know, months because their training performance is still through the roof. So you have to take that into account. Like at the end of the day, we want, we want you to be able to train your ass off and recover from it. So where is that at? Are you improving week to week with your training? Not to say it's going to be linear every single week, but are we still trending in that direction where, you know, the, the load's going up, the, the reps are going up week to week. Are we improving there? We probably haven't. We, how are your pumps in the gym? You know, it, and it's funny because if you start to press calories like way too high, like just for the sake of it, like, uh, let's just change something. I'm going to throw some more calories. You're going to know people will start like going flat in the gym. They'll lose their pump. Their, their biofeedback will get worse. So it's like kind of trying to find that fine line where, performance is still improving and feedback is still on point. Like I don't like to just, just to change shit or improve or increase calories just for, just to do it. Mm. You know, there's going to be a reason behind it. Maybe if training performance is suffering, okay, we could probably use a little more carbohydrates around that period workout window, you know, whatever the case may be for that client, but all off feedback, all off, you know, the feedback we're getting in regards to training performance, sleep, you know, energy, just biofeedback in general. Mm. I, I think I think that's a really important thing is that, is that people overestimate how many calories you need to grow. Like, it's not I, as much as you think. Yeah. Especially when your diet's on point. A lot of people have a lot need a lot of calories to grow because their, their gut's in such a terrible place that they need 4,000 calories to get a response because they absorb a third of it. So mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, you know, it's realizing that you can still make good progress if you and you don't have to be eating crazy amounts of food. Like, I am... Um, I like to, when I look at, I, I call, I have this thing called consolidate reverse balance when it comes to my reverse dieting. And that consolidation phase for me is like after diet, it's almost like the health phase. It's like before I even start reversing, I'm looking at, okay, we'll make an, either an initial jump and we'll, we can talk about how I do that, how big of the jumps they are. But like, I want you just to hold that for a period of time. And that itself, if you don't continue dropping, you may find it's only a small increase, really tiny increase. And your muscle, the amount of muscle you're going to gain is going to be a 0.1% of your body weight per week anyway, probably. So like, you're probably not too far off from the maximum rate of muscle gain as long as you're pushing your training hard and you're just solidifying the habits without a deadline. And I really like that you look at training performance as a driver of proving calories and this is something I, well, you know, I spoke to a colleague of mine about early on the podcast about his, his reverse dieting. And I think because a lot of people coming into a diet, they're focused on body weight, focused on how they look, focused on circumference measurement, they're focused on the mirror. And we, I always think that the quicker you can get someone away from that focus, the better this reverse diet is going to be. Because one, the scale is going to go in the wrong direction. So it's, if, you, if you're focused on that, it's going to freak you out. But if you focus on performance, you're fixated by your performance, that's easier to do. So now you're getting into the gym more and you're getting into the stuff that you can control. And over time, not too much, but you're going to get a bit softer. So muscle gains are mental battle, I think, more than dieting. Like dieting, the more you the better you do, the more consistent you are, the more you see your results. With muscle gain, 
the more you're covering up your results for a later it's day. slower. Like, I know. You're hiding I, the work you've done. It's happening, but you're hiding it as you go. And you, I think shifting that focus to a performance mindset rather than a physique mindset, I think is a game changer to keep people on this process. Absolutely. And having that conversation with them because it, it can be a mental, a huge mental shift, frustration, whatever you want to call it. And you do start to get a little bit softer, you know, maybe that conditioning, it starts going to start softening up, of course. But having that conversation like, hey, this is the leanest you've ever been in your life. You know, it's not realistic. Like, how did you feel when you were that lean? Probably like shit. Okay, well, we can't maintain that forever. You cannot maintain that conditioning, that hardness forever. It's just not realistic. Now, in order to improve, maybe the next time we diet, we need to put on some tissue. You know, we need to go through this phase where you are going to be a little bit softer. And just having that conversation with them, I think, really will help them a lot. But it, it's uh, even even to me still, it's a mental, it's it's frustrating coming out of, because, I mean, you're used to looking at yourself in the mirror. I mean, just completely shredded to, well, man, I'm getting softer. But it's it's just necessary. It's mm. just necessary for health. It's just necessary for your well-being, you know. You how, do, you, how do you push through that? How, do I, how did I push through how do, that? How do, you, how do you push through those moments? I mean, other than knowing, it, knowing it's necessary and inevitability, like, do you really focus on your logbook or what, what, what helps you, like, not mentally get in your own head with that? So for me, when I diet, I my strength, drops like crazy especially like the last five six weeks like very very like i'm talking 50 percent drops on some of like my big pressing movements i i really do i take a hit bad so for me it's like focusing on performance like now i get to get strong again training becomes fun again hmm. so that's that's the big driver for me for sure and i'm a foodie too i, lo- I love to eat food so i get to eat more food so that's a- it helps me mentally hmm. So, like, do you with your clients? Do you do you look at setting? Like, how do you get them focused on the performance side of things? Like, is there things you do with the training? Is there certain phases you like to utilize because you know people will enjoy them? Is there strength targets you set? Like, what do you sort of look at coming out of that on the training side? Uh, on the training side, I mean, it just goes back to kind of like telling, having that conversation with them, maybe even kind of pointing out to where maybe point out things that how they feel throughout the day. Like I said, like you cannot continue to live with that low of energy throughout the day. You can't continue to sleep four to five hours a night because you're in this deficit. So their quality of life is going to improve. And that's something else I think you can get them to focus on. Yes, the training is good. Training performance is going to improve, but your quality of life is also going to improve. You're going to start feeling better. Like your, your spouse is probably going to be happier. The people you're around are going to be happier. So I think the training performance for sure, the quality of life as well. And then you get to put on some more, you know, some new muscle tissue that you haven't had. So that's always exciting too. Is there anything you particularly do with the training phase you choose coming out of the diet? Because I know when you came, we, we came out of the diet, you switched to a more strength phase. Now, obviously, I know a little bit about this. I've, you know, studied a lot of the same things you've studied and that sort of stuff. But for people that don't know and don't know how to train coming out of the diet, why is it that you went into a strength block for me coming out of the diet phase? So like a neurological phase, it's going to be low inflammatory. You're not going to need a ton of carbohydrates to fuel it. You know, there's a lot of rest time between sets. Um, so, I mean, putting you, if you're in a, in a chronic deficit like that, putting you in a stimulus that's going to require, like say I'm putting you in a metabolic stimulus, you're, it's going to drive inflammation through the roof. You just don't have the carbohydrates to fuel that training. Neurological, again, does, just doesn't need a ton of, a ton of, the, a ton of fuel from carbs to really fuel it. 
um, because it's it's so you know um, it's easy to recover from. It's low inflammatory. So just kind of taking people through a short like come you coming out of out of the deficit, for example, we did an, a neurological phase for I like I remember like maybe four to five weeks. It's probably a long time. Kinda, we went through Christmas because we had Christmas right off the back. So it's probably a good so five week plus week. Long. Yeah, yeah, might have even been six weeks. But just to kind of have that in place that let it buy us some time to increase that food. Again, if I, you know, you're at the end of your deficit, your calories are super low. I can't just jack training up. I can't just put you in a metabolic phase. I can't just put you in like a, you know, like a growth phase, like as far as like hypertrophy goes, start taking sets to complete failure. You're just going to get inflamed because you don't have the, it's too much damn stress on the system for one. You just don't have enough food to support that. With, with training from that point then, obviously you, you're coming out into a low, like a, a neurological phase, a low inflammation-based phase because we haven't got the fuel coming out of that diet. Obviously then the aim is to bring food up. Is, is just training then progress in a more linear fashion? Like as you have more food, you start to increase training volume to, to allow you to ramp food up more? Is that the aim or does do you undulate it? Like how do you approach the tra- training phases off the back of yeah, I mean, go, coming out of the neuro phase, depending on kind of, let's talk carbohydrates specifically, depending on kind of what, where carbohydrates are at, you could even put them into, go from a neurological phase, put them into like um, so like a sarcoplasmic phase, which is like hypertrophy, but it's leaning towards like that metabolic, more energy expenditure. So you can almost use that to push carbs even a little bit higher because you're going to utilize them so much better. Um, that thing, like, Phases like that can help with blood glucose levels. Again, you're using those glycogen stores so much better because that type of training just requires more carbohydrates. So you're in that type of training. You need to be eating carbohydrates specifically like around that peri-workout window. Um, you're going to need it for fuel. You're going to need, and like I said, if not, you're going to drive inflammation. Even higher. If you just don't have the source that that training stimulus needs as far as energy goes, inflammation is going to go through the roof. You're going to make someone worse as far as like the cosmetic look. Mm. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. I think it's, it's when you're coming, it's it's amazing the power you can have in terms of the phases you choose to allow people. You talk about the approach changes depending on the mentality of the client. If you've got a client that's in a position where they want to drive food up, they get tired of being in the diet, pushing them, you know, if they can recover from it into a metabolic phase could be a way of bringing food up quicker for that kind of person. Going into working with Genpop clients who maybe get to a diet and are really tired of dieting. They don't live in the gym and they want to find a balance between the reverse diet and, you know, without needing to make them feel like they're continuing to diet. Because I think there's a lot of people that come out of a diet, they've done 12 weeks of dieting, they're mentally done. And the prospect of doing another 8, 10, 11, 12 weeks of almost dieting still to get back up to maintenance <laughs> is a lot mentally. But how would you work with those people where they're mentally done but also you just can't sell them, just go back to what you were doing before. What kind of things do you have in place to sort of like find that balance for them? Right. I mean, that, and that's always tough because I mean, you're, you're in such a good place to put on body fat coming out of a deficit like that. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you know, your BMR is so downregulated. You tell someone just to kind of go like give them freedom, you know, don't as far as like weighing things. I mean, that, that, is, that really is tough. So I, I would kind of try to dial them in and have that conversation. Like, even if you can give me two to three weeks after the deficit is over, I can get you in a better place versus we in the deficit and you just go off on your own and kind of do what you want because 
you're likely going to be coming back to me 12 weeks later, probably where you started. So if you can even give me, like, I would, I would probably get on a call with him and have that conversation. Like, can you just give me two to four weeks after the diet? So we can kind of, we can get you in a good spot. I mean, you know, we don't have to drag it out for 12 weeks. Four weeks is better than nothing. Uh, so I really, I would try, I would do whatever I could to not go the route of just kind of go off on your own. Sure. You can give them sure. Maybe you can say, don't weigh these things or, you know, but we have to have some sort of structure coming out of that, or you're going to be in a bad place. Mm. With that, with that in mind, like what, what is your take on, like you look at people like Eric Helms, a great example, right? He, he's a big fan of what, what he calls the recovery diet. And he's our image of these slow reverse dieting systems you're delaying the how long it takes to start putting on tissue. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that. But how do you what do you think of these approaches where you bring people to what you think is maintenance calories really quickly? Like poof, you're straight up there. Do you think that is that something that can work? Do you think it depends on the person? Like what do you think of those approaches? I think that I think that greatly depends on the person. And I think um I mean, as far as like, so what is their maintenance calories? Because they've been dieting for so long, you know, everything is a little bit downregulated. So putting things in a calculator, like, you know, body weight, you know, age, all that yeah. stuff, it's almost irrelevant at that point because they've been dieting for a really long time. You don't know what the hell their maintenance is. So what if I overshoot that? I start putting on body fat. Now, now I start tapering things back and kind of going this opposite direction. Now I have this yo-yo effect going on. That's why I like the slower approach. I'm like, my idea, I want to find your maintenance, yes, but I don't know what that is. So I'm not just going to, sure, I might give someone, like I said, we had a conversation depending on the person, if they just need a little bit more carbs or, you know, a little bit more food to be adherent, may, you know, take it a little bit faster than we would for someone else. But at the same time, I, I want to find your maintenance and I don't know what it is because you've been dieting for so long. So, and I don't want to overshoot it and then have to kind of retract and go this way and kind of create this effect so i like the slower approach if the person you know if the person can do it yeah i i i, I think it really depends on mentality of the person that you got dieting i i i tend to have if i if i looked at, i was trying to i don't want to use the word systemize because it is very personal but if i, I was sort of looking at, okay what are the approach i tend to use so i can sort of like make these better for the clients i work with and refine them and things like this and I have three ways I think I tend to reverse diet people, depending on the person. I have the slow reverse method, which is that literally like very small increments, like 120 to 200 calories up at a time, just see where things are at, find that slow spot. That approach, I think, works well for that person who is terrified of losing the wraps. And the thought of, <laughs> the thought of putting on muscle isn't as important as not losing the wraps. But we know we need to get them up to maintenance. So I was like, okay, this is probably not the most optimal approach you to spend time longer in a bigger deficit. But if it mentally keeps them on the straight and narrow because their alternative is hitting the fuck it button and losing their abs in a week, I have the um, the maintenance bump method, which is the people that I will trust to go up to what is probably a conservative maintenance calories. And these are people either completely done with the dieting and are also intermediate to advanced. People that I know that I put them up a, a thousand calories, they are going to still keep their structure. They're going to stick to good food sources rather than going, oh, wow, I've got an extra thousand calories. Let's go to five guys. Those people don't get that method. And then the approach I tend to go for most people, I call it the four-week bump method. And I, I, it's almost like, I would say, like, where are you four weeks out from the end of this diet? We'll make a jump to there. Or if I if, it, if, it, if they've been quite aggressively dieting for longer, I'll make a halfway house bump as like a little bit of a, oh, I've got some more food. I feel pretty good. 
and then I'll go slow from there. And that's sort yeah. of where I like to go with most people. It's like that little, your diet's done, here's some food, let's hold on to that, let's solidify some habits, and then, based off gym floor performance, make these slow approaches. But I think uh-huh. it really depends on that mentality because if you've got someone that's, they think that this 15, 1600 calories or less, or wherever they end up, is the diet they've got to be on to have these abs and they're associated with it. Taking them to four, 500 calories up in one go could be the thing that just completely freaks them out the other way. And they just yeah. fought you even harder on the way up. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think people need to understand they're going to, you're going to put on body fat. You're going to get softer. You need to, you need to kind of face that going into it. I think it'll be a lot easier if you go into a reverse diet after a long deficit thinking, well, I'm going to, I'm going to maintain this conditioning. You're going to be very upset with that outcome. You're going to get softer. You're going to put on body fat. Body fat's necessary in order to get your health back in line. In order for that feedback that we talked about earlier to get back on point, body fat has to happen. So like granted, we kind of talked about taking a slow approach. I'm jumping calories still quite a bit. Like say, you know, you ended your diet at, let's say, I mean, let's say you ended your diet at 1500 calories. I'm probably going to jump you up to 1900 2000 even like it's still going to be an initial pretty big jump um and, and, and like i said you're going to put on body fat you're, you're just going to have to accept that mm. yeah and I, I i was i was i was quite you know you know obviously lockdowns kicked me in the ass a little bit and had to rein things back in but i was quite proud of like how easy it actually was to sort of maintain some level of conditioning just by yeah just by keeping structure i mean i, I managed to hold weight and hold condition through christmas which I don't think I've ever done after because I've always dieted right before Christmas. I've never done a summer diet. Well, once all of them have been in the winter, so I've never re- I've never really nailed Christmas as much. And I, uh-huh. I think it was just like I found a structure that worked, and I got myself into a good routine. And I, and I tell you what, one of the biggest biggest things that I, I'm glad I did is continue the investment of of working with yourself. Like I've worked with after. many many coaches, and I've. I, I've, I've had ones where I've kept it a little bit, but then it's like it drops off and it becomes outside out of mind and you lose that accountability. And that's the thing that's like, I think this is the most important. I said this to you on day one when we got on our first call. I'm paying <laughs> this coaching process, not the dieting coaching process. But I know I yeah. need to do it because I was fluffy. Yeah, you did say that. And I agree. The accountability is, is huge. Like I still check in with Alan every single hmm. week. I don't miss a check-in. I make it a point. Even if I had a bad week, I'm like, Alan, I'm sending you this check-in just because I don't want to miss the damn check-in because I don't want to start missing check-ins. And then I miss three check-ins. I miss four check-ins. I'm like, here's my check-in. Wasn't a great week. Here's, I don't expect you to change anything. I'm just holding myself accountable. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's huge. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I've noticed, I've noticed this week, like, you know, I, 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 I've been, a bit bad with checking. It's like last week, right in the week before, was a bit after lockdown. A lot of things happened, but even with all that going on, I'm like the first thing I think about is like I need to get this check-in back on point because it talks <laughs> about structure because mm-hmm. that sets the structure up for the week. It does. It does because you 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 can reflect on a week gone. You can plan the week ahead, and that's something that I might not put in my diary to do with myself. I might not sit with a journal and check it. I wonder how well last week went. But when I've got to send it to somebody, that is is, is such an important thing. And I think at this point, I think there's much more, there's a bigger mental battle with building muscle. It's slower. There's patience that needs to be had. It's harder. And I think this is the time where coaching really does come into its own. 
Yeah. And yeah, like you said, I think checking in with your coach, it just puts things into perspective for you. You're writing out, you know, maybe it's pointing out where you can improve throughout the week, but yet you know that you didn't do these things, but for you having to put it on paper and send it to someone, it really puts things into perspective on a weekly basis. Hmm. So going, going back a little bit onto the reverse dial approach, this is something I, I, I the, the, the question sort of sparked this idea a little bit um, about having this podcast was sort of challenging the idea. And I'm with you. I, I, my approach to first item you said is very similar to yours. And I, I, I've, I've looked into, you know, the biofeedback, the hormonal responses and all this stuff in depth because I'm a huge nerd. But I wanted to challenge the idea of how much this actually matters. Because when we look at the various approaches, we have coaches that use, boom, big increase in calories back to where they are. We have people that take the slower approach to reverse dieting. And we have all these people like us in the middle. How much do you generally think that we need to have a reverse diet from a hormonal perspective in terms of improving thyroid and testosterone and all this other thing? Or how much is it we're actually more robust than we give ourselves credit for? And how much is it about actually just keeping structure? Like if we can keep structure increasing a thousand calories straight away, do you think there'll be a massive difference to gradually working up to it? I, I don't. And I'm glad you brought that up. I don't. And that's why I think the most three fourths of this podcast has been us saying, well, it depends on the person, you yeah. know, and we always, we always go back to consistency. And I think that's, that's, that's the big thing. If you don't have consistency, if you don't have adherence, you don't have anything. You really don't. You, nothing else matters. So like, I, I really don't think it's a, I don't think it's huge. I don't think it's going to make or break you. I think it just depends on the person, what they can handle, what they can be consistent with. Cause at the end of the day, we have the same goal. We need, we need to get calories from here, you know, to here. That's, that's what we need to do to improve the feedback, to improve the health, you know, to improve the things that we talked about. So how can I get you to adhere to it the best? I think that's what it comes down to. When it comes, when it comes to your approaches, not to, I'm going to apologize to all of my clients now and, and, and apologize on your behalf for all of yours. Like, is this one of the approaches where having a little white lie to your clients is a good thing? Because I can sit there and go, it doesn't really matter. We could probably increase your calories a 1,000. And they go away and increase the calories 4,000. Like, this is the time where I go, yeah, if you go too quickly, it's all going to come down. You're going to gain loads of body fat and your thyroid's going to be in the trash. You need to get your thyroid up to here and your testosterone's going to come out the hole here. And, like, even though that is true, is it as true as I'm actually saying? Or do I want to play, add a little bit on it just to go, hey, you really don't want to go and fuck it up now? <laughs> Knowing I mean, that if I make it sound important to them, they're more likely to do it. If I make it sound like it's... People take. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's def it's definitely important. I, I definitely think it's important. Um, but I mean, it comes down to how can I get this client to be to be more consistent too? You know, it does that does come into play. Hmm. Um, we're on their side. You know, if we if we if there's there's definitely other ways to do it. It doesn't have to be done. This I mean, and there's so many different um, you know ways to do things out there none good none better than the others you know we all have the same goal but as far as um as far as kind of the white light of your clients 
whatever whatever helps them be consistent. We're on we're on their team. We don't mean anything by it. We're just trying to help them out. So yeah, so like we going into it, we talked about training, we talked about nutrition, we talked about the and they're the two obviously the key things. We get calories so you should say from here to here. Carbohydrates are going to be good for fueling your training, your metabolism, everything else. You talked about going to a low inflammation train and then working up in terms of volume. What about in the topic of supplementation? Like, is there much coming into reverse diet that you think changes? Is there things you would add? Is You know, like, again, this obviously depends on blood work as well. And obviously we're, we're generalizing here. But, you know, is there anything you would take into account supplement-wise for people coming out of a diet? Or is it just very similar, very basic health sort of stuff? Again, again, very person dependent. Like, you know, do they use PEDs? You know what? For me, it's more so pulling supplements out, pulling those fat loss supplements out. If we need support to bring in, um, then yes, we do so. That's very person dependent. But for me, coming out of deficit, it's more so about winning them off of, you know, simplifying supplements as much as we can. Like I said, bringing in support where we need to. But at the same time, like likely you're taking you're taking more supplements in a deficit to you just probably taking more supplements in the deficit. So, I mean, coming out of it, I like to just simplify it. And it's typically turns into less is, is almost more coming out of it. Do you, do you have any staples when someone's coming into a lifestyle phase that you tend, you tend to keep in for the majority of people? Oh, absolutely. I think you're like your omega-3, your vitamin, your K2D3. Um, I like a magnesium supplement. Um, Really, those are those are really the staples. I'm like a vitamin C. Those are the staples I'm yeah. gonna use. And then after that, it's it's very person dependent. Like you know where you know what do they need? What do we need to address? So from outside of that baseline, it could go so many different directions. But baseline supplements, yeah. There's there's you know four or five that I do keep in with just absolutely everybody. General health supplements across the board. Why vitamin C? Vitamin C. Yeah, it's a staple. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, my computer's about to die here. How long have you got? I'm gonna have to find a charger. Hang on. <laughs> I'm gonna have to find a I'm, I'm gonna have to find a wall. No way off. So back after a charger interlude. So we're going on to the, the supplements. So you tell me about vitamin C being your sort of like basic stack. Why why vitamin C? I mean, I just like to keep it in for the immune system. Uh, can help with wound healing, you know, your bones, teeth, even, but mainly just proper functioning of the immune system. I think it's, I think it's good to keep in for most people. Do you think that's more important coming out of a diet as well, when the immune system is probably going to be compromised by a higher stress response? You could definitely increase the dose of that vitamin C coming out of the diet. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, like with things like looking at supplementation, this is not like I, I generally keep things very simple. I'm. I'm with you and sort of this and those things. Right, okay. Things that calm the nervous system, omega-3s, look at magnesium. What should take on things like zinc, potentially for gut health, testosterone production, or things like iodine even for like thyroid health? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you can get, you know, you can get iodine from foods, but um, especially if someone has a down-regulated thyroid, iodine is going to be huge. But that's, again, taking blood work into account. But I think... I, I just like to keep, I keep taking a ton of supplements from those people just gives them anxiety. Like they see this long list of supplements from a financial perspective too. Like we always yeah. want to take that into account. Like what can you afford? What can you budget for on a monthly basis and, you know, sustain that. So that's some, you know, that's another variable you got to take into account too. Someone gets this long list of supplements. 
are they really going to be consistent with that better than like, let's just simplify it as much as we possibly can. Yes, we're going to give you the support if you need it. But at the end of the day, I want it to be super simple, super simple to follow um, as affordable as we can keep it. Yeah. Yeah. When it, when it comes to like, um, when it comes to blood work, because obviously a lot of the stuff and the stuff is based around blood work. Um, but I'm assuming, as we said before, that things are going to be downregulated coming out of a diet anyway, inevitable because they spent time in a deficit. Would you, how long would you generally recommend someone after coming out of a diet to get blood work again? Because maybe it's good to know straight after a diet, but you're not really going to get the whole picture. And you could also mentally make them feel less of a buy-in going into the reverse diet if you feel their health is in a worse place coming out of it, even though it was inevitable and you've explained it. They see the number on paper and they freak out. So like, how long do you normally wait till after a diet before you encourage people to get blood work again? I, I typically get the first panel done like five or six weeks after we kind of started that health phase or that reverse phase. So we put a protocol in place and we get the blood work, kind of see where things are trending. And then we go from there. Like, okay, everything, everything looks good. You know, we've almost corrected everything in six weeks. Awesome. We can kind of start, we can kind of transition into a different phase. Or, you know, we've still got some, th- some things that we need to work on. Okay, let's get, it's still trending in a good direction, but we can use some more improvement. Continue doing what we're doing. Let's retest in, you know, eight weeks or so and see where we're at. Mm. But I don't like, I just don't like to do it directly. Say like you in your deficit, like that next week, things are just going to be off. It's not going to be that, you know, it's not going to be as accurate. So let's put a protocol in place coming out of that. And then let's let that kind of stabilize for, like I said, five, six weeks. Then let's do the blood work and see where things are at. So obviously you're looking at blood work in terms of the health phase. I mean, is there any other metrics you look at to say that someone's in a good space for health? You know, at the moment, things like all rings and root bands are really popular. So we're looking at things like sleep scores, HRV, resting heart rate. What are the things you look at? Obviously, I know from looking at the check-in, but what are the things that you recommend people to do? Yeah, I mean, again... The biofeedback, the energy, you know, how are you feeling throughout the day? You know, um, your sleep, your, your, your waking heart rate, your HRV, yes, your blood pressure, your blood glucose. Like definitely, I like to monitor blood glucose coming out of that diet too, to make sure, you know, we're keeping that in a good place. It also kind of goes back to, well, how much can we push food? You know, it, it's just, are we just adding food for no reason? Let's, where's your blood glucose numbers at? Can you even utilize the food that I'm about to give you? Um, but yeah, just the biofeedback, like, you know, how are you feeling? A digestion, you know, uh, energy, sleep, all those things are getting taken into account. And you can, like, if someone is just feeling great throughout the day, you can almost bet their blood work is going to be pretty good. It's going to be trending in that direction. Now, someone just, their energy sucks, you know, um, their sleep sucks, you know, the waking heart rates through the roof, they're stressed out all the time. That's when you kind of look at blood work and kind of expect it to be a little bit, a little bit off, if you will. But you can definitely just go off. I would, I don't like to just go off those symptoms, but you're seeing those things improve coming out of that diet, the, the, those feedback markers. You're, de- you're trending in a good direction. Something, some, whatever you're doing is, is you're doing, you're moving in a good direction. Whatever you're doing is working. I think that's the key thing is, is looking at trends. And I think the big one of that is looking at HRV. And I, I, I the device from my, either, my perspective is that, you know, the device is huge when it comes to tracking HRV. Either that or me and all the people I know that have aura rings are terribly unhealthy. Because, like, I remember looking at HRV for, you know, do look at the work of Luke Lehman is, and he's like, 50 is a bad score. And then, like, you should be up in the, the treble digits. And then everyone I know got an aura ring are looking at reports in the 30s and 40s. I'm like, are we all dying? And, like, 
Is, is there a preferred way when you're looking at tracking those metrics that you look, particularly HRV, that you look to track them? And what, what kind of trend are you looking to see? With the HRV? H, yeah, let's look at HRV first. That's the easiest one to go into. Uh, like, man, I really like if someone has, it's really weird. It's really almost rare for people like my clients to have something even track the HRV with. Um, it's, if they have it, awesome. If not, I mean, you can definitely track recovery and other, you know, another way. Again, their feedback, uh, you know, are they, are they staying sore for three to four days after they train like legs or something? That's a sign. There's just not, that is, and that's another thing like being sore for anyone who's listening is not the sign of a good workout. I mean, you do sure. It's, it's okay to be sore the next day. You do not want to be sore for, three, four, five days following that training session, you are not recovering. You need to, you need to look at your programming. You need to look at your nutrition. You need to figure out why you're not recovering from that. But um, no, man, I think HRV is good if they have access to something to track it with, but otherwise it's like going off the feedback as far as, you know, how are they recovering? Mm. And when it comes, cause I know that, um, you know, you guys use other things like, Dutch tests and things like this. Like, is there any other things you would like you would recommend or utilize to get a good prep? Like, I don't know much. I know I know a bit about bloods, but like, what would be the difference in getting a bloods or a Dutch test or what do you ever think of these sort of like, you know, like this circle DNA sort of testing? Are they do they have any merit or valid or are they completely useless? What is it again? Sorry, circle. Have you heard of circle DNA? It's like the DNA testing things. I use that no really the only the only things that we use are like a like a maybe an mrt test food sensitivity uh the dutch test uh blood work like we use you know for specific cases like autoimmune panels things like that i've never used the dna test so no hmm. I'm not familiar with that what's the um because i don't know much about the dutch test what is it that the dutch test actually looks up looks for and why would you utilize it as as well as or instead of bloods so the Dutch test is going to look at like your 24 hour cortisol pattern. So it's going to tell you like, you know, cortisol, you should have this kind of rise and you should have this fall in the nighttime. It's going to tell you where we're at, you know, your circadian rhythm. If it's off, that's going to tell you, you know, where it's off and likely why it's off. It's going to, it's going to test like, uh, for example, like on blood work, it's as far as the androgens go, blood work's just going to test like your DHEA. Um, the Dutch test is actually going to test the metabolites that fall under that. So you're getting like the androsterone, the etiocalanolone, which can play a big role. Because I mean, a lot of time, and this this is way off freaking topic. We're going way off topic. Oh, I, but uh, um, a lot of times, like the people will see like a low, this is just one example, a low DHEA on blood work. So they think, oh, I need to supplement with some DHEA. However, we'll get a Dutch test on DHEA can be low. And then these metabolites, the etiocalanolone and the androsterone can actually be high. So you give someone DHEA, driving those metabolites higher, you can actually give someone like PCOS just from not having all the information that you need. Hmm. So Dutch test is definitely huge. Um, I think it's more beneficial for, yes, it can be beneficial for males, specifically ones that need that cortisol pattern test. Um, but more specifically, uh, it's very beneficial for females. I really like to see Dutch tests for females. Hmm. Yeah, females, man. There's so, a lot of moving parts with females. Hundred percent. I mean, I think this is another topic for another day. But it's like the thing with the moving is the moving parts of females is always an interesting topic because it's is that finding that balance between how much is it again similar to reverse dieting in the sense of like how much is really important in the sense of like you want to find that balance because there's so many moving parts, but you also don't want to overcomplicate somebody's diet. Like the topic of menstrual cycle, I, I shudder. 
I shudder every time when I see a post on social media going, this is how you should train and diet during your menstrual cycle. Week one, yeah. high carb, low fat. Week two, low fat, high carb. Week three, you got to do a strength phase. I'm like, they've never Too tracked much. macros and you're giving them a different diet plan <laughs> every week because every of their, like, like, no one's following that. And I've, <laughs> I've had women that have, like, that barely even feel their cycle with no contraception. Yep. And, I've, and I've the training usually shifts too. Massively affected. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen people tra- change the training each and every week too. I'm like, you are just confusing the hell out of this person. How much time do you have on your hands to be able to write that many programs? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know about you. I don't. There'll be like recycling <laughs> templates. You'll get through with five years worth of training within five months. <laughs> yeah, man, I agree with you. That's that's a little over the top. I do not do that. No, I don't. No. Yeah. So going back onto like to, to tie this all in and going back a little bit into the reverse dieting topic. So obviously you you finished your competition recently. Tell us a little bit about your reverse diet, what you've learned from your reverse diet, and how it differed from different previous reverse diets you've done. So for this one, I definitely I took that initial phase to where it was, you know, six to eight weeks to kind of get health back on point, um, get my feedback on point. Because like I said, I go during during my preps i tend to my feedback goes really really down regularly it's like the energy really really tanks sleep is just awful um so I'm, i made sure you know i got the blood work done you know probably i think i had the blood work done three weeks ago everything was really good so i'm in a good spot ever since then man to be completely transparent my life has just been busy non-stop traveling so it's like granted i i'm not you know i'm not eating like shit but i am taking more so like I'm going to eat three to four meals a day. I'm going to eat when I'm hungry. I'm going to prioritize carbs around training, but like I haven't been to a T after those, but, but you know, those initial five to six weeks, I knew it was important to go through that phase, get health back on point. So I definitely treated it almost like my prep. Everything was to a T. Um, but here lately, it's just been like, honestly, just with like the clients coming in and, and the, and the work coming in, it's like, it's hard. It's been hard for me to prioritize my own training here lately. So it's kind of a phase that I'm going through right now as we speak. Um, I'm hoping, hoping I can start prioritizing my own training within the next couple of weeks. But ever since, ever since like, you know, five to six weeks post-show things have just been a little bit crazy. But like I said, it's, it's, I'm, I'm eating mindfully. I'm eating intuitively. I'm just not like, here's what I'm eating at this time of day. And I'm eating, you know, I'm half to eat five meals a day. I'm just simply, I'm eating when I'm hungry. I know the nutrients that I need. I'm choosing whole foods, like I'm prioritizing carbs around my training. So I'm still doing, you know, I'm still doing those things. It's just not to an exact T every single day. And it comes back to that full circle, right? Of like structure creates freedom because you've got those habits in place, because you've got that structure in place, you can, you can fall back onto them even without thinking. It's like an autopilot. Yes, absolutely. I think that's very important. Uh, just kind of learning, learning what to do and how to handle those situations. It's huge. Mm. So look, looking at like go, going into closing questions, I've, I've, I've since the podcast we did a long time ago, I've, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people. I've started to pick up closing questions. And one I got from a guy called Chris Van Vliet, which is a, a really, do you follow Chris Van Vliet? Do you know who he is? Uh-uh. So he's a, he's a, he used to work on TV. He's a, an interviewer that interviews people like The Rock and movie stars. Pro wrestlers, and it's a really okay. simple question, but I really like it. Um, what are you most grateful for right now? What am I most grateful for? 
man, I got a lot to be grateful for my, my work family, my family, you know, my girlfriend, I have just, I would say just to sum it up, the people I have around me, um, the people I've chosen to surround myself with over the past couple of years, uh, and also the people that I've gotten away from over the past couple of years, I'm grateful for that too. So again, just to sum it up, the people that I'm around on a daily basis really drive me to be a better person, be a better, you know, um, co-worker, uh, just be a better person in general. I like that. I like that. So last two I, I, I now, and now I, I like to do. One is this is an idea I got from Stephen Bartlett, the Die of a CEO podcast. Have you listen to that? Uh-uh. Definitely should. He's there. Stephen Bartlett's the youngest ever guy to be on Dragon's Den or the equivalent, UK equivalent of Shark Tank. And, um, yeah. and he, he always says, he goes, right, and he, he often doesn't do it with the guest in mind, but we can do. He goes, do you, what question would you ask? my next guest, regardless of who it is. I, ca- I do actually know in this instance who it is, if that helps. Is one, do you know the Muscle Mentors in the UK? Used to be Callum and... Uh, yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul, Paul Standle, the, the one that does all the fitness rants. He's coming on. Okay. He's talking about a little bit about performing and camera tips. So, like, what would yeah. you ask Paul when I get, speak to him next Tuesday? What would be the thing you should ask him? What is he speaking on? We're going to look at camera tips and performing and presenting yourself in socials. Oh, wow, man. I would have a, I could, I could go a whole podcast with him and ask him all the questions. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that's an area I definitely like it as far as uh, social media being in front of a camera. Um, oh man, maybe how that's tough. <laughs> because there's so there's so many. Have you gotten questions specifically that you're going to ask? I've got, I've got I've got I've got a few. I'm going to go down. You yeah. do? Yeah. I'm going to more talk about his performing arts background because this is the thing with him. He's had a performing arts background, and I think that's why a lot of the things that he's good with his with his sort of stuff. And I'm also looking at maybe investing in the same camera. So I might just actually have a really boring podcast and talk about how that works. Yeah. So I think he's in front of a camera a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think, so what I've noticed, I feel like the less I think about it going into it, the better I, the better I do. I would like to kind of see his, his approach on that. Or like if he, if he teaches people or goes over things like that with him, what would his approach be to that? Cause I just feel like if I overthink something or if I like write it down, I have like a, like a speech um, in a sense that I'm going to give. I feel like it's worse than if I just go into it almost like blind. I feel like I do a lot better. So just kind of get his uh, intake on that. I like, I like that. And, and that's one of the things I want to speak to him about as well. And that exact same thing. It's like talking about, he did a video, a short video about camera tips, embracing the edit. And that's one thing I don't do enough. I'm very much a, I'm quite a good public speaker, but I'm very much, I rely too much on the, I'll be all right in the night sort of thing. So I'll put a camera up <laughs> and it's good and I'll get through it and it's fine, but I'll get a lot of ums and you know, and, and because I just keep going and just speak, I can't edit it. Yeah. Quick. But I need to embrace that. I'm like, say my bullet point, stop, wait, look at my next one, do it again. And then just realize I can just edit that out. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like I have gotten better over time. And that just came with less thinking about it. Cause it just, the more you think about something, the more you do it, I feel like just the more anxiety you're going to get going into it. I just keep telling myself, don't even think about it. Just go into it blind. Like, you know, the stuff you're going to be talking about, just, just go out there and just talk. And I feel like it's a lot easier that way. But I, I would, I'd, I'd be uh, anxious to kind of see what, what his intake was on that. 
That's I agree. With that's why I why I like podcasting because I mean, it's just yeah. a conversation. So that's no, really. going to you is I, I like asking this in the show because I like to see how people think and and where where they where they think people need to learn more information about. So if if there was a future guest, if I got off this podcast today and I reached out to somebody to be on a future episode, who would you recommend I reach out to and talk to? Well, is your is your your podcast doesn't necessarily have it? exact topics so my my podcast is generally looking mainly aiming at improving men's confidence inside and out it could be a fitness podcast it could be helping coaching it could be it could be helping health insert here but something that probably helps men confidence in some way business health wealth training and this could be anybody i got a good one for you hang on Ooh, okay interesting i just can't think of his name but i'm looking it up (laughs) Joe Joe Dispenza, you know who that is. He's oh, an no, author. Dispenza, yeah. Okay. I will probably I'll... definitely one of my favorite authors. Uh, his book "Breaking the Habit of Being Your Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself" definitely recommend to anybody. Okay, yeah, that would Dispenza? that would be an awesome one. I'm sorry. Why Joe Dispenza? For people who don't know who he is, why him? I just like his work. I like the books I've read from him. Uh, I follow him on, you know, social media. Always, posi- always putting uh, like positive vibes out there, positive uh, information. I just, think I would really be anxious to kind of uh, learn from him, his mindset, and you know how he keeps that positive mindset and how that affects his day to day. That's a that's a really really interesting topic. So brilliant. Thanks. I think we've given a really good overview of reverse dieting. Why it is. What can you do? So for people who want to know more about you and what you do. How can people find you and maybe go through a diet and reverse diet with yourself like I do? Yeah, so my Instagram is uh, at BlakeWest22. You could also go to our uh, our website. It's MaximumPerformanceHealth.com. Uh, we have, you know, you can submit an inquiry on there. You can just DM me on Instagram with the chat. Awesome, man. Right. Thank you very much, Matt. That was good. I enjoyed, I enjoyed round two. Yeah, of course. Talk to you soon, man. All right.